Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Marquee on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the streaming demon, Jacob. Hello, everybody. We've got Hayden. Hello, everybody. And making his Renegade Pop Culture debut, please welcome a good friend of mine, Roman. Howdy. Glad to be here on this Glad to have late you. Tuesday evening. Taco Tuesday evening. I don't know. Tuesday, Wednesday. Time, time is a construct. Correct. Um, so today is a very exciting day because we get to finally discuss uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, passion project, Dune. But before we get there, I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't pay a small tribute to uh, Galena Hutchins, the cinematographer who tragically lost her life on the set of an indie film called Rust, um, where um, she was the victim of a firearm accident um, in which Alec Baldwin, and believe me, I know, I know this is going to be haunting him for probably the rest of his life and i hope he finds peace um he was he was given he was given um a prop a prop gun that had um live ammunition and i just i just want to take a moment to acknowledge um yeah to just acknowledge this tragedy and just give my thoughts and prayers to uh, the families of all the victims. Um, anyone have anything else to add? I'll say um, when I first heard of this incident, I immediately thought of what happened on the set of The Crow when Brandon Lee was shot um, by uh, Mike uh, Michael Massey. Was the man who accidentally shot me? It was a gun blank too. Again, that's that's pretty haunting once you take that into account and Michael Massey it lived with him for the rest of his life so I can only imagine what Alex is going through right now um yeah it's basically what Mike said um I wish him yeah I, I I wish I hope he eventually recovers from this I hope that some he recognizes that it wasn't his fault well said yeah um it's just obviously tragic and something that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I, I think it was the night that Dune had come out. Actually, I had gotten out of the theater and that, instead of the reactions to the movie, that was the first thing I saw. Um, it was just really upsetting and just kind of really hard to process considering obviously there's a lot going on right now with Hollywood behind the scenes that not a lot of people know about. Um, and for this to have happen to someone with, you know, a child to go home, to and is no longer going to be going home to them. Um, you just kind of wonder, you know, how something like this could have happened. Obviously, more details have come out, but uh, how we even got there in the first place. And uh, obviously, it's very tragic. And uh, hopefully, it just kind of sets a precedent moving forward on safety on sets and for the crew because, you know, we always worry about the actors, but the people making the movies are also in harm's way as well. So, rest in peace. Agreed. I'm just going to say that um, in addition to that, that um, 
I really hope that conditions can be made better. I hope that um, that the hours are more fair on sets in the future. And I um, hope that uh, the members of Yahtzee uh, can uh, come to um, something that will benefit them in the end and hopefully prevent things like this from happening ever again. Right, because at the end of the day, um, as much as as much as we all love movies, quality of life, um, safe and like safety on a movie set should be should be top priority. Absolutely. Um, let's also acknowledge um, her husband and their nine year old son who are definitely railing from this, and let's hope them all the best as well. Well said. Um, there's there's no easy transition out of this, so we will uh, we we will go right into discussing Dune, um, a project I know that Denis Villeneuve has been wanting, been chomping at the bit to to finally tackle. Um, the film was uh, directed, produced, and written by Denis Villeneuve. Um, co-written by John Spates and Eric Roth based on the 1965 novel of the same name by Frank Herbert. Um, and for those who may not know, this is only adapting roughly half of the source material. And this film follows Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding who must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, a commodity capable of unlocking humanity's greatest potential, only those who can conquer their fear will survive. Um, so Roman, I'm gonna start with you since you are actually coming fresh off of um, reading the novel for the first time, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. So give me, so give me your, uh, general thoughts on, I guess, both, both the movie and the novel. Well, first things first, I guess we'll just start with the novel. Cause I have a the complete picture there. Um, you're talking about just one of the most well-crafted and dense novels ever written. I, I mean, it, it lives up to the hype in terms of what people sold it as. And, you know, obviously there's been many deserving comparisons to Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, but really it's, it's kind of a merger of those two um, and kind of how it creates its own identity as like a story about um, just essentially traveling to the Middle East and harvesting oil, um, which is kind of crazy considering that it was written, you know, about 45 years or about 35 years, 36 years before um, 2001. Um, and it's just kind of telling that, you know, for so long, this has inspired so many movies and so many other stories and so many filmmakers um, for being as big a fan of Denis Villeneuve that I am. I was kind of surprised by how patient he was with this movie. And you can really feel the passion for this material just kind of bleeding into every single frame. Every single frame feels like just this entirely new genre of movie that we haven't really seen before and i guess it's kind of a testament to the fact that the combat in this movie is 
swords and shields. It's kind of like a sword and sandal epic, um, kind of living in a sci-fi world. And that sci-fi world setting up red flags about the future um, is pretty insane, just in kind of how it all comes together. Plus, you know, the Messiah figure and how that's inspired by obvious, you know, biblical text. Um, It's just kind of incredible how it all came together because it's about a myriad of things. But with the movie itself and this first half of the story, I think does a great job of understanding, foreshadowing the power of it and kind of what that means for the story. Um, Because this movie essentially is just foreshadowing part two, which we have confirmation of today. Thank God. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's just an overwhelming piece of material. And I think a lot of people who are experiencing Dune for the first time in this medium um, are really in for a treat with part two. If you thought this, it is really just the beginning. I feel like I've been saying that a lot because it's like, you know, the last line of the movie essentially. Um, But yeah, it's, it's incredible. And I cannot wait to see uh, how they, uh, do the second part. Um, well, well said. And um, full disclosure, I have not read the book. Um, so this was my first exposure to um, the material as um, as a master of the craft as uh, Villeneuve um, presented. I have, I have seen like clips of David Lynch's version, but um, but never really sat down to watch the whole thing. Um, but this movie, I've seen this movie three times, um, twice in theaters in Dolby. And the third time I watched earlier today on HBO Max. And I got to say, um, this might be a little bit controversial um, take uh, for um, as a film fan. I think I think every everyone should experience it in theaters once, but seeing it seeing it um, at home on HBO Max actually made me appreciate the material a little bit more. Maybe it's because I was in kind of my own environment and I was able to, you know, pause pause the movie and really take in specific scenes at um, and re- really kind of like dissect dissect the movie as much as I could. But everything that Roman you said earlier about just like the like the size and the scope of of this world, how how Villeneuve just he he had such great attention to detail with with everything from um, from the way the world was established to really getting to know um, each of these characters and. Um, and the journeys that they're about to embark on. Um, overall, it's just a truly fantastic movie. Jacob, I want to go to you next. Your general thoughts? Well, Dune, it was kind of one of those movies that film Twitter just immediately started fawning over, and they would just not um, respect any misgivings people may have against it. Like, oh, it's too bleak, or it's too dark, or whatever, or I don't know, like, it was just some... And then they would just pounce on that person and say, well, then go watch MCU, then check Mark, or whatever. And, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was, I was... I did see the trailer uh, back in, like, October of last year, I think. I was like, wow, this that looks really interesting. Like, I, I have seen uh, Denis Villeneuve's... Um, several of his previous films. I've seen Sicario. I've seen 
um, Prisoners, which might be my favorite of his, um, and Blade Runner 2049, which was a really impressive feat um, and, and visual feat. Like, I was just completely arrested when I saw that movie in the theater and discussing Dune. Um, you know, I don't know if it really reached um, the expectations people had for it. Like, not maybe not quite the masterpiece that people were hyping up to be, but I really enjoyed it. You know, it was very captivating. Like, there were long stretches where I was just awestruck by what I was seeing. Just completely mesmerized by the visuals on the screen. And the sound, I saw it in IMAX. Okay, and the vibrations I felt were unlike any I felt in a while. It, it's just, it was an incredibly immersive experience. It was very, it, it was a quite a wonderful, actually. And Denis Villeneuve, he, he was the right one to tackle this. Like, he gives the source material a lot of reverence and respect, and, like, he is... He has full confidence in what he's playing on the screen, no matter how absurd it may be for some people. It's just, I, I respect, I, I have a lot of respect for him as a director. And I think, I'm, I'm very looking forward to part two, if it's even half as good as this. Same. Hayden, uh, your general thoughts? Yeah, so I'm also... Um mostly a novice when it comes to dune um my first introduction was actually uh back when uh lindsay ellis uh, worked for a certain uh site that shall not be named she did a review of the david lynch movie and that was basically the the extent of my knowledge um before going into this and i will say but that uh the second I heard that it was um, Villeneuve uh, doing uh, this uh, seemingly impossible task of uh, adapting that book to film, I thought, well, of course, it's that's perfect choice. And he's already proven himself that he can make an impossible idea come to life in a really beautiful way. Nobody expected a sequel to Blade Runner to be nearly as good as it was. And I really, really enjoyed what he did here. Yeah, I still I still maintain that um, that uh, as far as far as I've seen, um, Villeneuve has never made a movie less less than excellent. Like every everything, everything I've seen, at least from enemy to to now, has pre- pretty much been a five out of five. Um, if we're, if we're going by Letterbox uh, ratings, um, now we're about to go dive full into spoilers. So consider consider this your one and only warning. Um. Boy, where 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 to even begin? Um, um I think you kind of have to start with personally Timothy Chalamet. Um I would kind of just we should lead off there just because I think that the movie really doesn't work without him. 
And I think he was essentially pretty perfect for the role. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, now, because, because I haven't read the book, I, I don't really, I, I don't really quite um, have a grasp on um, how Paul is supposed to be portrayed, but it seems, it seems like, it seems like Chalamet kind of, um, for lack of a better term, understood the assignment. Um, because yeah. one, one thing I noticed about, about his journey is that un, un, unlike other um, protagonists like Luke Skywalker or, or even Harry Potter, his, his hero's journey isn't exactly a positive one. Um, or at least, at least so I'm told, according to some of the later, um, some of the later novels, that this is that this is more more of a um, a subversion of the the typical um, hero's journey. So, in that regard, I'm really excited to see um, where his story goes in part two. Oh, I can, I can jump in. Yeah, it's. Um if you're really excited to see where it goes in part two, I mean, and even you kind of notice it in the movie, you, you really see that, you know, this boy is essentially growing into a man and you can kind of tell based off of, you know, how he develops as a character. Once the movie begins to ask more of him as an actor, he kind of rises up to the challenge and really just delivers some awesome sequences and just really believable moments to the point where, you're kind of wondering like, why isn't this guy in more movies? And then you realize he has been in a lot. And I think what's pretty neat about Timothy over a lot of other leading men right now, especially younger leading men is he has such a distinct look about him that he's a good looking guy, obviously. And he's got great chiseled features. He has a nice chin line, nice jawline. He looks great. Right. Um, But there's something about him that reminds me a lot of Joaquin Phoenix and just how, he sort of just disappears into every role and sort of uses these two to his advantage. And instead of playing a typical, let's just say Tom Holland-esque role where he, or even like Mark Wahlberg or uh, Ryan Reynolds now, where they're just kind of playing the same type of person. It's really cool to see a young actor just kind of harness this ability and turn it into something truly special, especially when you compare to what he's done in like call me by your name or lady bird, or even his insanely small role in interstellar. So yeah, he, the movie kind of begins and ends with him, and then obviously the rest of the supporting cast. But um, if you're excited about where he goes next, then we're in for a treat. Oh yeah, um, Hayden, you got anything to add about uh, about Paul? Um, I fully concur with everything being said. Um, I thought he did a really good job, and it was, I think, a more a bit more of a subtle performance than a lot of people want to acknowledge. It's not really showy, but I think it works for the character and what they were trying to do. And uh, I'm really interested in seeing his journey from here. I think, I think one of my favorite moments um, of his is um, when, when he and Lady Jessica are in the, um, like in like that sand tent, and he's like, he's like really starting to, um, you know, like because, because of the spices in the tent, he's, um, he's really starting to freak out about, about the dream that he's having. 
Um, and just the, just the moment that he shares with uh, Rebecca Ferguson is it's, it, it's a really, it's, a, it's, it's a really special, special moment. Um, it's that and a scene earlier with him and Oscar Isaac as the Duke Leto Atreides. So like the one, the one line of dialogue that just always sticks out to me is when, um, when Oscar Isaac says a great, a great man um, doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it and he answers. But if your answer is no, you'll still be the one thing I've, I've always asked you to be. And that's my son. Amen. So from the man himself, I mean, this, this whole movie is riddled with lines and dialogue about that. And it's, it's very philosophical and pretty existential and really kind of get down to it. And then, yeah, it's just one thing after another with every single character in this movie and every single sequence to the point where you're kind of just wondering how it one-ups itself every time. Um, and then it just kind of rolls into the next sequence over and over and over again. And uh, that's just a sign of a, a really special movie at work. Yeah, there's this real gravitas to the whole thing. It, it really kept me engaged. And as, and as grand and as um, overwhelming as the whole experience can be, there, there also is a little bit of rela- relatability to, um, to what the characters are going through. Like, um, I, I don't know if anyone else had this experience, but um, with, with Paul, I, one, one, could, one can argue that he's, he's kind of the son, he, he's like the child of, of like pa- parent, parents with um, par- parents raised um, with like two different two different uh, religious beliefs because that's that's kind of what I grew up with. Um, my dad was raised Jewish, my mom um, Catholic. So growing up, I kind of had the best of of both worlds. And it, it, I kind of get that vibe from uh, from Chalamet's performance a little a little bit. Yeah, I can. I can see that. I can. I, I definitely can see that. There's some, and I didn't even kind of think about this. Is now that you mention it, you know, his parents both stem from very different belief systems, and kind of how he's met in the middle. And I guess I kind of alluded to something like that in my review as well for the movie, where sort of the boldness is of Duke Leto is kind of offset by how gentle he is, um, and then compare that to sort of the passion and mystery of Rebecca Ferguson's, you know, Lady Jessica. It's sort of just a neat little marriage that isn't entirely a marriage of two characters that, you know, their offspring is kind of a mix of both of them. Um, He's deeply skilled. He's very intelligent. uh, He's very gentle and he's very caring, but he needs to be a leader when he needs to be. And I think that's just a huge compliment to what Frank Herbert was able to accomplish because when you look at a lot of stories, the parents don't have a prominent role in how they inform our protagonist. And even look at like something like Luke Skywalker. I mean, yeah, his dad's hanging around, but he's the big bad guy and that's really it. And he has like no real semblance or connection to his mom, you know, until the story needs him to have one. And so for this story to come out in like 1965, it's kind of incredible how every single character has a role to play and how they inform the protagonist. Um, So I think that's pretty neat. Agreed. Um, now, Hay- Hayden, there, um, there, there's, there's one, there's one character in here um, 
the, I guess, the designated antagonist, um, Bar- Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Um, there, there was something. There was something you brought up earlier that this character was, for lack of a better term, straight washed. Is, is, isn't it true that like in the no- in the novel, um, his sexuality is more um, is more apparent, but they kind of they they kind of tone that down for the film. Yeah, um, in the book, um, from what I have read specifically, um, they have it have it frequently alludes to um, uh, Baron Harkonnen um, having an interest in a lot of uh, younger boys, and I am very relieved that they have cut, they just kind of cut that out of this adaptation because I don't think that's really something that we should be really presenting for the only openly queer character in your movie and turning them into the stereotypical um, pedophile because that's a lot of unfortunate implications and I'm very relieved that they were able to, uh, that uh, they made the decision to completely just excise that from the film. I think that, I I think them removing that makes a lot of sense too. It just doesn't really fit within the narrative of, of what it's going for. It doesn't really assist in sort of the Baron's arc. Um, It's important for the character essentially in in the book and i think you feel that you even see that in dune uh david lynch's dune uh you get those vibes um and he's that's just something david lynch has been very good at is allowing sexuality to be subliminally uh, uh, or sorry underscored i should say uh not entirely drawing attention to it but implying it and uh that's something that denis i think you know one of every filmmaker has their faults and i wouldn't even really say this is his fault is you know, sort of allowing his movies to be a little more freeing in terms of how characters feel for each other. But at the same time, they all kind of service uh, the narrative in some capacity when he chooses to go the route he does. I I fully agree. And something else that I will bring up um, is that um, Frank Herbert himself does have a potentially spotty history with um, the gay community in general. Mm -hmm. um in that um he it's not fully confirmed but it is very likely that he um disowned or um separated uh from uh his uh son who later uh, who came out as gay and uh eventually um passed away from uh hiv aids in the 1990s So, and it's kind of, there's some debate over who instigated the, the separation, but um, there is some indication there. And I'm just going to say that and just to illustrate uh, what I was uh, talking about with the, the portrayal in the book. And I think it does illuminate a little, and I think it's, I will just compare it to, um, I guess Orson Scott Card and being able to uh, 
remove things that um, aren't really necessary for the text. And uh, I am I'm relieved that they were able to remove that um, given all of these uh, um, bits of uh, uh, knowledge and such. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm gl I'm glad they made they made that change. Um, any any of any other like significant um, changes to the source material, uh, Roman, that you feel were um, improvements for the film, or or were I guess cut for time? Because for a, for for a movie that's part one, this is still pretty 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 lengthy uh, runtime. <laughs> Yeah, I was um, pretty interested to see how they would streamline all of it because I knew we weren't going to get everything. Um, but even then, what they gave us was all pretty much what I expected. Um, there is one subplot from the book that I think would have gone absolutely gangbusters with audiences and really just ramped up the, the uh, tension. Um, and the movie doesn't really allude to it. I guess one of the final shots of the movie kind of does. Um, but with Lady Jessica specifically is because Duke Leto, Leto mentions, you know, he's like, we, they aren't married. It's just sort of, uh, can't think of these exact terminology, but you know, he's the leader of a house and she's sort of from this witch essential cult and they're not necessarily married. Um, but they had to get married to do a certain thing. And, um, in the book, they really allude to the fact that you know, someone is going to try and kill the Duke. Um, and they allude to the fact that she might be in on it because of her Benny Gesserit ways. And I think that that's something that would have worked really well for this story and done a little bit more for me because Lady Jessica is such a fascinating character. And then where she ends up going in the second half of the book with Paul um, kind of explores some more of that potential tension because there's even like people talking about, you know, having read the book and saying like, you know, there's this sort of like weird sexual incestual tension between uh, Jessica and Paul. And that's in a lot of fantasy novels over the years. I mean, even just look at something like Game of Thrones. Um, it's pretty inspired by Dune as well in terms of the political side of things um, and how, you know, marrying with the house can essentially, you know, create, you know, stronger bloodlines and stuff like that. However, they believe it. Um, not that anything, you know, happens to transpire between the two in the, in the future, but um, they definitely allude to stuff like that. And I think that although Le Rebecca Ferguson is incredible and probably my favorite performance in the movie, um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more done with that. But other than that, they kind of nailed it in terms of what is important for the story so that we can set up future events. Um, and it's really hard to complain about an adaptation because it's kind of as close as it to get, can get to being perfect for a book that size. In interesting. And I have to agree with you. Um, Rebecca Ferguson is my personal favorite performance um chalamet um is playing the most important character but i think ferguson gives the stronger um gives the stronger performance whereas the most showy performance is probably jason momoa as duncan idaho <laughs> who to be honest yeah. is really just playing jason momoa but under under the direction of a genius yeah, he definitely had a lot of heart to the movie, I thought. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he was just his name was Duncan Idaho. What's not to love about that? And a and a movie that takes itself this seriously. Um Duncan, so Jason Momoa, I think he kind of needs to be in contention with uh Dave Batista now as an actor who, you know, you kind of see him as like, oh, he's got this really nice body, buff guy, you know, he's a pretty face, this, that, and the other. But they're extremely talented. And I think what Denis does in this movie for Duncan and for this character is, you know, allows Jason Momoa to kind of show his more gentle side, his softer side, his sympathetic side, instead of, you know, the hair flipping pretty boy from Aquaman and uh, whatnot. And he's great in that movie. He's fantastic. Um, But yeah, I think that we're really starting to see, and Denis always been a great character actor and uh, actors director and uh he's just allowed his characters and his actors to really step into these roles and bring out the most from them and that's just not exclusive to dune that's emily blunt and sicario that's what jake gyllenhaal does in prisoners which is severely underrated or uh, what ryan gosling does in blade runner 2049 even as well as harrison ford you know someone who is notorious for not wanting to return to roles and kind of just you know pissing all over it and not really wanting to do it um and then coming back and giving us a pretty solid supporting performance in that movie as well. One thing, one thing I kind of joked about with, um, with Duncan Idaho is that his, his, his character arc is, um, is uh, portrayed visually by um, Jason Momoa's decreasing facial hair throughout the film. Yes. I did notice that because people were like, Oh, he's completely shaved. And I'm like, I thought he had a beard at like a point in the movie. He, he, he did in the in the very beginning and then by by the time by the time we get to like his his like um his last stand he's basically clean shaven maybe like a little bit of uh five o'clock shadow but that's about it i'm just gonna quickly um bring up an allusion to uh tommy Wiseau's masterpiece known as the room and what they do with uh mark's uh beard in that movie i think i think there's something to be said about that anyway um, are there are there any other any other um, standout performances from this honestly huge uh, ensemble cast? I um, one that stuck out to me was Javier Bardem as yeah. Stilger, Stilger yeah. the leader of the Fremen, the uh, indigenous of uh, the planets. Um, yeah, he had a lot of charisma as a leader. I thought you know he did kind of. I don't know about charisma, but he had a lot of grit to, you know, what he brought. You know, like when, like when we first see him, he's dragged into the council rule room, and the first thing he does is spit. But um, Oscar Isaac and Jason Momoa, like they're so intimidated by him that they just spit along with him. Um, a personal uh, favorite performance of mine was actually uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster as uh, Liet Kynes. She's so Ooh. good. She, yeah. I thought she's she was so good. really, really compelling. Yeah. I haven't seen her in that much. I would really like to see her doing uh, more in the future. Um, Same. Yeah, that role um, in the book is, is a white guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them to go this route and just choose the best actor for the character, I mean... She's incredible. I mean, some of her moments and sort of who she resembles as a character, as well as a, someone who is neither a native Fremen 
or uh, someone who's anti-Fremen. She is someone who's kind of caught in the middle, which is kind of, you know, essentially what Dune is about. You know, I'm really actually happy we haven't seen a lot of white savior takes coming from, from this weekend because Dune is kind of anything but that. And, and a lot of people will figure this out in the, in the follow-up in the second half um, is that it's a story about embracing culture in uh, figuring out, you know, their language and figuring out how they live and how they've been forced to live by the government um, because of their conditions. And I think that that says a lot. And I think it's something that we can learn from. And like I mentioned earlier, all great sci-fi does such a tremendous job of, you know, kind of speaking a truth in the present that not a lot of people might be paying attention to and sort of, expelling some warning flags about what's to come and or how people will be treated or whatever it may be. I mean, you can go down an entire list of great examples like Blade Runner, like um, anything by Philip K. Dick, anything ghost in the shell, stuff like that. It's just uh, sci-fi is my favorite genre for a reason. And, and that's one of them. Uh, and speaking of, and speaking of Villeneuve, I, I remember in my review for arrival saying similar things like um, how, it, that, that movie works as like a great parable for, um, you know, lear, lear, learning, learning the language of, an, of another culture in this case just happens to be aliens. And I think, I think he, he brings, he brings that similar um, energy to this material, not, not necessarily preaching a message, but, um, but, but te- teaching it in a way, in a, in a way that's like, um, like that digestible um, through through the journey of these characters. Um, another another performance I wanted to bring up was, and I hope I don't butcher this last name, um, Babs Alusan Mukan as a uh, Jamis, um, one of the other uh, Freeman that Paul um, that Paul sees in his in his visions and eventually eventually kills in. Um, in combat, I thought I thought he did a really a really good job. Sorry, say it one more time. You had cut out for me. Um, I was talking about the the actor who played uh, Jamis. I'm not going to try to pronounce that last name again, but I thought I thought uh, he did a great job um, with that with that role. Um, I I have a, I have some critiques about about where where the film kind of ends um as as much as like as important as the final like that like that battle is between paul and jamis um in like in the siege um i i just think i i just think like um compared to other moments in the film that the the ending the ending left a little bit to be desired but i thought i thought um the performance of the guy who played Jamis was just really, really excellent. Yeah. There's something uh, to be said about pretty much every single person who plays uh, a, a native Fremen. Uh, there's something about him that is very intelligent, but intriguing and uh, seems like an overly dramatic word to use, but maybe like esoteric. Um, it, there's just a lot of words that you can use to sort of describe those characters and how they're played, um, there's a, I, I, it's kind of hard to frame it without having like you know 
talking about the second one or the second half, because there's just a lot of stuff that they end up going into in regards to the culture and the creed of the Fremen and how that sort of informs how they live or the relationships they build with people and why this relationship or soon to be relationship between Paul and Shani is uh, just really impressive. I mean, I genuinely, like I've said it before and I'll say it again, I, I cannot wait to see how they manage to visualize a lot of the stuff from the second half of that book. Yeah, there, there's there's a there's a lot that I'm I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm I'm hoping between now and the release date of part two that I'm able I'm able to actually um, dive into the novels. Um, because now now that like I've experienced at least part of the story, I'm 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 all I'm all in now. Like I'm I'm so invested in this world and these and these characters. Uh, Jacob, are there any other any any other um, standout performances before we move on to uh, other topics? Because there's a, there's a lot to get through with this film. I thought Zendaya was good. Zendaya, she had a real intensity to her role as well, and I I kind of liked um, the kind of bait and switch they made where. At first, we see her in Paul's dreams, and you think, oh, you know, she's going to be the girl who's going to fawn over him. She's going to be his biggest cheerleader. But then when we see her, she just kind of gives him this icy stare. (laughs) And she even tells him, she gives him this dagger that he sees in his dreams, and she says, you know, it would be a great honor for you to die in combat with this. Like, wow. Um, Are you talking about the scale? Uh, or yeah. just the action or the score. I, I mean, actually, kinda... actually, yeah. Can we can we talk about the score? Because um, I don't want to. I I, I don't want to um, to risk um, recent recency bias, but I have to admit that this might be my favorite Hans Zimmer score that I've heard in a while. And I know he's I know he's done a couple this year alone. Um, but one one of the reasons why I love this score so much is kind of the same reason why I love his score for The Prince of Egypt, which um, as you guys know is my favorite movie of all time. Um, mm-hmm. and I can't really place my finger on why. It might it might be because both both of them you can kind of hear you can kind of hear inspiration from um, Lawrence of Arabia in, in certain, like in certain musical cues. And obviously with, with, um, with a film like Dune, you know, that's it, that, that it's pretty easy to make, to make those, those um, musical comparisons. I completely agree. I think, well, I agree with this in the sense that it, reminded me a lot of Lawrence of Arabia and it's, it's very different. Um, obviously, I mean, I've never heard anything like the Dune score and I think it should earn him his second Oscar, uh, deservedly. So, um, just because it, it, it creates like an entirely new type of sound that I don't think we've ever heard in film before. And when you have these beats similar to Lawrence of Arabia, I mean, I, all I've listened to is the score since I've seen the movie and, he really channeled a lot of like these grand scale epics um, and how the music plays a, a part in conveying a lot of the, what we're seeing. I mean, 
even it reminded me a lot of Blade Runner in that sense too, where the score, I mean, maybe it's from a source in the film in the world, or maybe it's not. So diegetic or non-diegetic diegetic sound. Um, maybe the ships are creating the sound and then you hear the voices and how that resembles like just something a little more natural compared to the mechanical sounds of the drums that are pounding or the synth waves that he's creating. It's um, it's a really special piece of work that the movie simply wouldn't be the same without it. Um, one and two, it's just another notch in his belt of being one of the greatest composers of all time. Oh yeah. Um, and I'm I'm really I'm really thankful for Christopher Nolan for allowing him uh, to do the score instead of Tenet. Um, not not to not to throw uh, Ludwig Göransson under the bus because his his score was great too, but Han, Hans Zimmer needed to be involved in this in this project, and I'm I'm thankful that. Um, that he had the opportunity. Hayden, uh, your thoughts on the score? Everything being said here, I completely agree. Absolutely my favorite Zimmer score in a while. Just something about it is really raw and it just kind of does like kind of sneak into your soul in a way that I found really really powerful um and jumping jumping off what roman kind of alluded to earlier um the sound the sound design in this film is really something unique um roman when um when when they talk when they talk about the the voice in the novel did Mm -hmm. you did you what 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 were you imagining um the voice to sound like in film and was was this anywhere close to um, to what you pictured? Uh, I can tell you not that um, at all. Um, and when we do finally get it, it's I loved it. I, I loved the way that they made the voice sound, uh, just because it's you can quickly tell it's overpowering, obviously because it's loud, but too because it is does sound sort of maniacal, sort of like witch ish. I guess is a terrible way of explaining it, but it sounded just very commanding and um, very puzzling and just something that was like pretty impressive just in terms of how they ended up creating that sound and uh, allowing it to be so overbearing for the people that they were trying to uh, manipulate. Um, from, from, from what little I know of, of the novel, it's, it seems like it's, it seems like um, it's, it's a little bit more of a brute force in, in the film. Whereas at least, at least um with Lady Jessica, it's a little more, um, it's a little more subtle, more, um, I think, I think the word they used was like insidious. Um, but I, but I, I really like the way it was, it was portrayed, um, in this, in this version. Hayden, what about you? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with, uh, what's being said. I don't have much to add. Let's see. Yeah, uh, I think I think we do need to talk about the action because I I don't think I don't think like out outside of maybe Sicario, I don't really I don't really see Villeneuve as like um, as necessarily proficient in action scenes. But 
I do think he, I do think he handles it a lot better than, than Nolan. Um, and pretty much, pretty much anytime, anytime Jason Momoa is on screen and he gets to swing, swing those swords around, that's like, th- those are, those are often some of the coolest, like some of the coolest action scenes um, throughout the film. Yeah. I, doing action on this scale and at this pace and is obviously very difficult. It's not using a lot of, you know, physical stand-ins and actors like they did on say something like Lord of the Rings. And it's a little more reminiscent of Avatar in a sense. Um, But it still feels so big because they're able to have these large visual effects that tower over characters and create a true sense of space and awe. I mean, the big moment is, you know, the ornithopter sequence and the spice harvester um, getting swallowed by a big worm number one or two or whatever big one, whatever his name is. Um, But there's just a really impressive way of just directing all that. I mean, you look at a lot of other directors who are doing big movies right now and a lot of commercially successful directors and um, they're trying to do big action and it it just doesn't really transpire or feel the same or feel like it leaves you with an impact. But with this, I mean, obviously because Twitter has been loading up my feed with, you know, images and gifts of, of Dune, um, but I haven't gotten it out of my head of that sequence when they're flying away from the worm and you just see it swallowing that harvester hole and see how small they are in relation to something as large as that. And that's kind of the case for all the action. And that's why when there is personal combat and it is one-on-one or it is up close, like let's say the ending of the movie, it just feels so intense and so aggressive and so visceral compared to something that is just kind of basking in the sets and basking in the sights and sounds of the world. And uh, that's just a huge testament to everyone involved for one and two, uh, Denis, especially just because no one's really making movies like him right now, let alone at this level on kind of the biggest stage possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Denis is 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 certainly one of a kind um, when it comes when it comes to when it comes to delivering. And I hate using this term, the thinking man's sci-fi um hayden anything else to add um yeah i think that it's interesting how he did um action it doesn't really feel like the action was the point which is something that i can i can respect uh for the movie and i think it worked for the story that was being told the action like happens, but it's not really the focus or the point as much as what's what the action is like doing. It's it, it it's like the action is um like pu- punctuation marks in between in between like bigger bigger character moments, if that makes any sense. Correct. Correct. Yeah, um, I um they allude to a couple of big sequences um, in, in that tent sequence in, in, uh, in the movie. And uh, if this is any indication, I think that once visual effects are cleaned up and uh, cause what to me, a lot of people aren't noticing either or haven't been talking about, or, cause maybe they have noticed it is the movie is essentially desaturated in a sense, but the very last scene of the movie um, seems like the sky is getting a little bit clearer. Um, and I think that's something that's sort of a, a visual aid for maybe the light at the end of the tunnel or things are bound to get better uh, now that this uh, 
Muad'Dib figure is stepping into the role. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see how they're going to kind of change things up in uh, the second half. Yeah, that's that's actually something I, I noticed um, like e- like either the second or the third time I saw the movie, I was really I was really paying attention to uh, um, the color grading and sort of sort of the difference, especially the difference between, you know, reality and Paul's visions. I noticed the visions are definitely like um, seep. They're, they, they're more seeped in like in like gold and gold and sort of more like um war- like warmer sort of metallic colors whereas in reality it like it feels a lot colder um it's de- it's like the colors are definitely muted but yeah when- once you see that final shot it's it it definitely feels like oh um it's all uphill from here yeah oh, wait Kind of, yeah, <laughs> uphill in the sense that they got to go through a lot of stuff to get to uh, the point they want to be at, and it's going to be a little bit of grind. They're definitely going to get their uh, steps in and their workout for their legs. We'll probably actually see that muscle that uh, Duncan Idaho was joking about <laughs> early on in the film. A um, couple more couple more things before we wrap up. Um, I got to give a lot of props to, uh, to Greg Fraser's cinematography. Uh, we 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 were kind of talking about that with the uh, with the lighting, but just just in general, the way like the way he brings these planets to life, um, every every single frame, like I would I would happily um, hang up on my wall as a like um, you know as a, as a poster, especially this this one particular shot um, um, of of like a sunset. I think I think that was um, I think that was when um, Paul and Lady Jessica were were in one of in one of like the um, copters like escaping from from their captives like shot, shots like that are just are just kind of gorgeous to look at and this this movie this movie is is full of full of moments like that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that people have pointed out on Twitter and Facebook this weekend about some of uh, its influences. And one of the big ones is Paul looking out at the sunset, a la Luke Skywalker and uh, A New Hope. And uh, there's it just isn't afraid to kind of understand that it's influenced by. It's so interesting because Dune influence so many movies we've seen that influence the filmmakers and the cast and crew that are now a part of this uh, iteration of Dune. And it's kind of interesting how time, yes, is a flat circle um, and kind of come everything comes back around uh, for one. But two, you know, it's it's Greg Frazier just kind of putting his stamp on the fact that he has arrived in being in, you know, contention for being one of the best working cinematographers right now. And as I, I was actually thinking about this recently because of uh, the Batman trailer, which was you know quite OK uh, for the most part, at least for me, is when we talk about cinematography, I think we should start talking about lighting more um because i think people focus too much on color grading and desaturation or oversaturation or whatever it may be and i think really what it comes down to is what people actually love is the lighting or don't love is the lighting and i think that's something we should mention more because i think dune is impeccably lit um it reminded me a lot of roger deakins and how he lights his movies and makes me kind of wish we could have seen what he got with this but 
you know, you just point out a couple scenes in the movie, like when uh, the Benny Gesserit are walking back to their ship and all that's lighting the screen is the light from their ship or a mobile light thing that's following them or the light of a projector on Paul's face. There's just little things like that um, that are really special and kind of, you know, contribute to the environment and the scale and the scope and the personality of the world and the story and the characters. Um, and that's just, again, it, it's been a long time since I've gushed about a movie like this on every single level and it just all works and it begins and ends with Chalamet, but you have to talk about Denis and Greg Frazier and Hans Zimmer and the supporting cast. It's, it's all just incredible. If, if nothing, if nothing else, this, this movie is just kind of one of the perfect examples of this being such a collaborative medium because you, you can't, you can't just chalk it up to one person, you know, yes. Um, Villeneuve is the one at the helm, but every everyone play, plays a part in creating this masterpiece. Um, Hayden, is there is there any is there anything that um, that you want to bring bring up that we haven't touched upon yet? Um, I do want to say that I don't like. I do have a minor nitpick, if anything. I will say I do think it's a little bit of um, iffy that um, they have the um, one Asian guy being the quote unquote traitor, even if they do. I do think they subverted a lot of that pretty well by giving him more of a motive and more sympathetic. I just think that it is something that I I noticed that's actually, that's actually um, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I want I wanted to ask you Roman um, in 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 the novel um, do they go into more depth with um, uh, with with the doctor's betrayal? Um, no, and that's actually the part that I was looking forward to the most is that entire sequence between Doctor Yue and and Duke Leto and he has a little bit more to say and do in the book. And we've already heard about some deleted scenes, him talking about, you know, how they've captured his wife and uh, have them. And he's been kind of, his hand has been forced essentially. Um, And that's in the novel, which is a great sequence. And um, they played it perfectly though. They really trimmed the fat there because it could have got a little bloated, but what they did was allowed us a moment to kind of be like, oh, wow, like this is the character that's doing this, even though he's supposed to be sort of what is essentially like a a medicine officer for them in a sense. And um, what he does for them or in this story in particular is he doesn't really want to do what he has to do, but he chooses to do it to potentially not only free his wife, uh, but free a lot of the world. And this was his means of doing it. And that's where a lot of the political intrigue comes into play that gets expounded or expanded upon it a little bit more in the second half and certainly in Dune Messiah. Um, so I thought they did a tremendous job with Dr. UA. And I thought that, um, you know, and I do agree though, too, you know, the movie or the story itself is an allegory and sort of allows characters to be resembled from the middle East. And I feel like they didn't do a great enough job of casting, particularly for that. So for, you know, one of the only uh, 
uh, people of color on, on uh, that aren't just a native Fremen. It was kind of a little off-putting, but for the most part, that character has done it pretty well in terms of justice. Uh, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd have to agree um, with that. I thought um, there's, I, I think they did a really, they, they did a, a good job um, for the most part set, setting up his character. Um, and I, I, a lot, a lot of the political intrigue, I, um, I would like to see a little, a little bit more of that, um, expanded on in part two, but I, I think, I think they gave us, they, they gave us enough in, in this part, um, that I think worked now about, 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 um, the casting of the Fremen. Yeah, I do. I do agree. Um, we should have, we should have maybe seen a little bit more um um a little bit more um arabic and um and mina uh representation um that's that that's probably one of one of the only um major criticisms i have but other other than that i thought i thought those characters were were well cast and they gave they gave strong enough performances that it's not it's not a complete deal breaker but it is something worth discussing. I completely agree. Having reservations about a movie doesn't mean that you do not enjoy the movie. And I think that's a nuance that I think a lot more people should be cognizant of. Right. And I think um, it, um, it, it's, it's the exact same thing I would say about um, a movie like The Last Duel which we talked about before, how a, mo- a movie can have problematic elements, but um, but that 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 doesn't that doesn't have to like automatically uh, make or break your enjoyment of the film as a whole. But at the same time, it it is okay to acknowledge it while still while still standing by your opinion. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with any of that. There's always been times throughout film history where there's something in the film that just, you know, movies don't have to justify us morally or ethically. Um, and just need to tell a story as long as it doesn't intrude in uh, misrepresenting a certain people. Agreed. Um, so it looks it looks like we're starting to to wind things down. Um any any final thoughts, Roman? I'll go. I'll go to you first. Um, I don't know, man. I've kind of laid it all out there, and I've spent a lot of my weekend talking about Dune, whether it's verbally with my friends or on podcasts, and just kind of gushing about it. And I'll gush about it, you know, for a very long time um, because it, it is just such an incredible achievement. And I think, you know, I'm I'm one of the people out there that's a little more. Uh, harsh on the current state of blockbusters and the current state of Hollywood. And for this type of movie to be made in this environment, to end up making the money it did for the property property that it is with a day and date release on streaming as well, uh, pulling away some of its money from the theater going experience. It's just an incredible achievement. Um, Singularly, you can talk about the film, but just outside of that and what it means for Hollywood moving forward. Yes, it is getting spinoffs. Yes, it is getting a sequel. Yes, it is setting up a sequel. But the difference between Dune 
and a lot of other movies that do the exact same thing is that it understands what it needs to do in this story to prepare itself for the following story. And I think too many movies these days are focused on setting up the sequels rather than telling a story in the moment and letting those characters live and breathe in that world and tell their story and their half in this sense of that story. And uh, I, I just think there's a lot we can learn about Dune and from Dune on how to make movies this big feel deeply personal and passionate. I don't think there's enough passion in Hollywood these days for movies this big. It's all over like independent movies or smaller movies that don't get as many screenings as something like uh, a big Disney movie or a big Fox or what was of Fox or universal um, would. And I, I think that there's just, this is kind of paving the way I hope for a new generation of blockbusters that understands, you know, love what you're making and channel all of yourself into it. And you'll get one hell of a passionate project that has the entire world reeling. I mean, I haven't really seen a much of anybody really dislike this movie or have something overwhelmingly negative to say, besides maybe a couple of people that we might know in our personal spaces. Um, so I'm only speaking from that experience, but at the end of the day, uh, what it does did for me um, in terms of the book and then what it ended up doing just in the first half of this uh, movie that what most people are going to experience Dune as um, is pretty impressive. And I, uh, I love it to pieces and I've only seen it once. Um, I just really want to make sure I give it the time all two hours and 35 minutes of it again, very soon. Well, well said. Um, I, I think I, I agree with a lot of that. Um, to, to, to borrow a quote from La La Land, um, People love what other people are passionate about. And for a filmmaker like Denis Villeneuve to be this, this passionate about, about this, like the source material, which, um, you know, if you, if you, if you know the whole franchise of Dune, this is, this is still only one book out of like, you know, a dozen, but he's, he's taking, he's taking the right approach with the material, focusing on like, focusing one film at a time and really giving giving like all of himself to the material and for that for that it really paid off um i'm i'm glad that this movie has more or less united film twitter um and you know every everyone barring a few exceptions seems to be on the same page you know everyone is like giving this movie praise for uh the performances the act like the action um just the size and the scope of this all is all just incredible um so jacob your your final thoughts on uh on dune part one it's an arresting very um entertaining it was a very engrossing film um whether you're what other screen you choose to see this in it's a good time it's got good performances it's it really gives you a good taste of what's to come hayden your final thoughts no no matter what platform you see it on whether you go see it at your local theater in regular format or if you go see it in imax or if you go see it in hbo max i i hope that you can get enjoyment out of it because how you watch something doesn't necessarily matter with how uh, much you enjoy the film itself 
I think it can color how you enjoy a movie sometimes, but it shouldn't be the be all end all and do what you want to do. I don't think that should be a debate, but um, this is a really interesting time. I am thrilled that against all odds that uh, they're going to be able to make that sequel. And thankful that this is one of those uh, movies that uh, managed uh, to uh, do the impossible with uh, such a huge uh, undertaking of a book. Oh yeah. Um, now, just in case the release date, the release date changes um, between now and whenever this episode is released. Um, the current the current um, projected date for part two is October twentieth, twenty twenty three. Hopefully they can, um, hopefully they can stick that uh, they can stick to that date. But if not, I'm sure part two will be well worth the wait. Um, but until then, that concludes this episode of Renegade Marquee. Before we head out. Roman, thank you for uh, joining us. Where can everyone find you online? Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is the second podcast I've done on Dune in the last like two to three days. So it's it's pretty cool to you know have the internet space kind of like reach out to me and say, hey man, we want to get you on to talk about Dune, a movie you've been greatly excited for, and you're about your with your favorite director in the director's chair. Um, but you can find me just on social media uh, on Twitter at rbc roman that's a r b as in boy i s i and then my first name roman r-o-m-a-n um you can find me on instagram it's basically the same thing you can find me on facebook at roman rbc uh and then on letterbox as well at the same name <laughs> um but most importantly uh yeah just check out my blog uh the showtime with roman movie blog that's where i'm starting to get a little bit more consistent now with my writing this year uh it's a little been a little bit of a down year in terms of movie watching because of the hours i work um but i'm churning it out i'm trying to get something out this weekend for halloween i have a pretty cool idea uh churning ever since i've watched some of these classic universal horror movies so if you love horror and you kind of want to see what i have to say about that just stay tuned check it out follow me on social media i'll be posting updates very soon um and hopefully i'll have that finished because i think it'll uh create some pretty good discussions. So other than that, though, again, thanks for having me on guys. So appreciate it. Of course. And I definitely look forward to that uh, universal piece. Uh, Hayden, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter at the Hayden Wilder or on Instagram at Hayden Wilder. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter under J. Crable, K-R-E-H-B-I-E-L. I'm also part of the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group, and I have a letterbox account called Streaming Demon. You guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can find me just in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can find us on Podchaser. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And last but not least, everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Marquee. We will catch you guys later. Peace out. Have a good one.